Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. So I'm going to look at Acts chapter 2. I'm just going to read a few verses here and then we'll get into the theme. I know you have come across the theme by working through 1 Corinthians, which talks about the gift of tongues in church life. And we'll come to that but we're reading now the first time this extraordinary gift burst upon the church of God. Uh, all the other gifts that are found in the New Testament actually appear in the Old Testament. Uh, healings and prophesies and all kinds of gifts that are listed. You'll find them in Old Testament stories, but the gift of tongues you will not find. Uh, you'll even find the gift of interpretation. When it says that Belteshazzar's feast was writing on the wall. I said, who can interpret what it says? Mene, mene, tekel, abhazen. And then the interpretation was given. So even the gift of interpretation is in the Old Testament. But the gift of tongues isn't. It's a very strange gift. And it burst upon the church on the day of Pentecost. So I'm going to read very familiar words. Just first of all, the first half dozen verses in uh, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise, like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other languages or tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. I'm not going to read the whole uh, chapter, but just come in again at verse 32. What Peter is preaching as a result. He, these people gather, they worship, somehow they're in a room, it says, that filled the house where they were. We don't know exactly what house that was. Uh, some would say they were in the temple, but that's not often the way that word is used. Um, and they were sitting, which would not have been characteristic of being in the temple. So they were probably in a, a particular house praying sitting, like we are here, and suddenly this mighty roaring wind, fire falls on every head, 120 of them there, fire falls on every head, this is an amazing thing that's happening, fire fell in the Old Testament, Mount Sinai, Elijah, and fire down from heaven, but this is on people, this is unparalleled, this is never happened before, fire coming on people, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit, and begin to speak these languages we're going to talk about shortly. And that somehow, it doesn't tell us how, they overflow from the house into the street. I mean, you don't read how that happened. They're just in the street. And suddenly they're in the midst of a crowd of people and thousands are observing this extraordinary thing. And then Peter takes the opportunity to preach. And we're just going to read a few of the words that he says, verse 32 I'm going to speak about. This Jesus, because he's all about Jesus, it's all about Jesus really. This Jesus 
God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured forth this, which you both see and hear. It wasn't David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Said to Peter and the rest of the apostles' brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent, each one of you. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children. And for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Father, thank you for the joy of singing praise to you this morning, gathering to you, reminding ourselves of wonderful truths about your faithfulness, your care for us, the majesty of your throne even this morning. Uh, even now you are enthroned in the heavens. Even now you are Lord, author of all things. We thank you for the Alpha and the Omega. And now, Father, we ask in Jesus' name for the help and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we might learn from you and receive from you, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this happened, it says, on the day of Pentecost. What does that mean? Well, in the Jewish calendar, there were three great feast days when Jewish people gathered to Jerusalem. Pentecost, Passover, the three of them over the year, and they would pour into Jerusalem from all over the world. Jewish people, like today, scattered in various nations, and devout men, sometimes that means proselytes, sometimes means people who are not actually of Jewish blood, but maybe Greeks and others or who are living in different nations who admired their godliness, admired the Jewish one God instead of the multiple gods that were uh, in the Greek world and the Roman world. Uh, and so they get these Jews and devout men gathered in, they would come in. They identified with the Jewish religion which centered on the temple and centered on Jerusalem, which was what the whole of the Old Testament is about that, that Jerusalem is the center, is the place where God is to be worshipped. They weren't to build temples anywhere else. That uh, era of uh, world history, there were temples everywhere, all kinds of gods. But Jerusalem was unique, the center of the Jewish religion, the center of history in terms of our Bible story. It centers in Jerusalem. So they came up, and Jerusalem would have been filled with people from all these different nations. They were there. And it was on this occasion that God moved in an extraordinary way. Pentecost was remembered by Jewish people for two things. One, the giving of the law. God had given them his holy law, the Ten Commandments and other commandments. God had given this unique people. He said, only, only you have I known, all the families of the earth. God had a covenant relationship with these people. He said, I'm betrothed to you. It's like you're my bride. You, you belong to me. You're my special people. And all these lovely names like Daniel and, and David and, and Abraham, all this unique nation. 
we got all these wonderful stories. It's just this people. God wasn't speaking to Russia. He wasn't speaking to Mexico. He wasn't speaking to Australia. It's only this people. This is the unique people of God, children of Abraham. Mind you, God's purpose when he called Abraham was, through your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's whole intention, right from the beginning, when he called Abraham, one individual pagan, and made him promises, and revealed himself to him, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. From the beginning, God said, can you count the stars? So many will your children be. Through you, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. So God's purpose was always to reach every nation, but he worked with this particular nation, this special people. And they were there in Jerusalem celebrating the giving of the law, this amazing provision of God. God gave the law, gave them. They were special. They were betrothed to him. Here are the ways in which I want you to live. This is the standard of life. I'm, I'm, this is you to be unique of the life of the world. Here's my standard. He gave them the law. They celebrated it every year. And also, it was a kind of festival of harvest. Harvest festival, we still, I used to have, a, I was young, school, harvest festival churches. We said harvest festival, so that uh, even in the English calendar, there was a time when people brought, they used to bring to church. They'd bring uh, fruit and stuff. And I remember the Baptist church I went to when I became a Christian. And once a year, they'd bring in their stuff. And we thank God, it's harvest festival. Uh, God provided the harvest. God gave us fruit. And that was in the church. But here, this day of Pentecost celebrated two things. The giving of the law and the festival of harvest. Strangely, that was amazingly fulfilled now. And what it used to be is completely overshadowed by what happened on this day. On this day, the Spirit of God fell on the church. Now, that was one of the things God had promised in the Old Testament. He said in the Old Testament, in the last days, I will pour my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Now, that was a radical prophecy from a guy called Joel in the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, individuals knew a coming upon of the Spirit. But it wasn't only individuals. So you can read about Gideon, who was one of the judges, and he's a scared guy. He's hiding in a cave. And God wants to use him, and God comes to him, and, and, and he says, don't, don't call me, I'm useless. I, I, my, I, I'm the least in my father's house. And my father's house is nothing to get excited about. I'm a nobody. And it says the spirit clothed him. And he became incredible warrior. A mighty leader. The spirit came on him. He was transformed by the spirit coming on him. And he read about David. It's a Samuel anointed David who became king with oil when he was still a young lad. And the spirit came on David from that time on. You'll find that sometimes in the Old Testament, like when Moses becomes towards the end of his life and ministry, God says to Moses, lay hands on Joshua, and the Spirit will come on Joshua. So Joshua's going to be the next guy to lead the nation, and, and Moses lays hands on the Spirit comes upon him. In fact, at one time, when Moses is alone leading two million people through the wilderness, he says, God, out, this is killing me. That's effectively it's my translation, right? This is, this is too much for me. And so God says, okay, gather 70 leaders. And I'll take some of the spirit that's on you and put it on the 70. You can read about that in the Old Testament. So Moses does what he's told. He gathers the 70 and brings them to the tabernacle. 
And God does this extraordinary thing. He takes some of the spirit that's on Moses and puts it on the 70. And what he does, it says this, they all started prophesying. And we'll come to that in a minute. They all started prophesying. That when the spirit came on them, something happened. There's a, a phenomenon. They start prophesying. So of them. That extraordinary thing, the, the spirit coming upon people. You might read also when Elijah finished his ministry, He's a famous prophet, he's the national prophet. He's going to be taken up to glory. And Elisha, his sort of disciple, says, I must have the same spirit that was on you. If I'm going to do what you do, if I'm going to be your uh, successor, I must have the same power. I can't do it on my own. And so he pursues Elijah. Until Elijah, amazingly, is taken up to heaven. And Elijah says to him, if you see me go, you know you've received. And he sees him go. And as he goes, his cloak falls to the ground. And, and it doesn't say Elisha particularly felt anything. But he picked up the cloak and he said, well, you said if I see you go. And when they came there, Elijah had come to the Jordan, taken his cloak, and hit the river, hit open. So, wow, here I am, here's the cloak. Now, here's the river. Oh, wow, I can imagine. Boy. Okay, here's the cloak. He said, if I see him go, I saw him go. That's what he said. That's what he said. Here we go. Wow. Wow, the rooms. And the people said, oh, the spirit that was on Elijah is on Elisha. So he is now equipped. He, he continues doing miraculous things. You can read about him in Second Kings. So these characters in the Old Testament were usually special people. There might be only one in that generation. Famous figures like David or Moses or, or, or Joshua. They're, they're prophets, they're priests, they're kings, they're judges, they're unique. So when Joel said, in the last days, I'll pour my spirit on all flesh, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Wow, this is completely new. This is unknown in the Old Testament. All flesh? Well, everybody, your sons and daughters? In the, in the book of Acts it says Philip had four daughters who all prophesied. Your sons and daughters, it's going to be widespread. It's, it's not any longer going to be just the unique. Let's go up to Samuel, the prophet. And that's what Saul said. Let's go to Samuel. He's the national prophet. He was sometimes two of the nation. Oh, Samuel's coming to tell the prophet. Now, even your four kids will prophesy. It's widespread. That's what Joel promised. And this day of Pentecost is when this new outpouring of the Holy Spirit came. And, and, and so these people, there's 120 of them, men and women, and the Spirit fell upon them. Mary was there, the 12 apostles were there, others were there. So Mary spoke in tongues, they all spoke in tongues. They all spoke in tongues. So this phenomenon of the Spirit falling upon them, the extraordinary thing was they all spoke in tongues. Just like with Moses and the seventy, they all prophesied. It's like heaven coming down on some people. And it's not, you can't just let heaven come down here or nothing's different. There is a phenomenon, an and it comes through speech. But it's a language they've never learned. So what is tongues? Suddenly these Galileans, as it says in the story, they can speak languages they've never learned. And that's why the crowd gathered. 
I said, what is going on here? Are they all drunk? Oh, it must have been extraordinary. Yeah, exactly. 120 people all gathering together. They're all talking together. But I think I can hear my life. And it gives you a list of the places where they came from, which I didn't read all. And funny, one of them is just from Rome, I think. Gosh, I'm just getting Latin as a time book. <laughs> I, I had to work at it in school. Can't work when they had to. Suddenly, whoa, speaking Latin in tongues. Anyway, they, all, they're all speaking languages they've never learned. They've never learned. That's the, it's a language. They're speaking a language that they've never learned. But suddenly, they're speaking it. That's the outbreak of things happening. And the people in the crowd say, hey, I can hear my language. They're speaking the wonderful works of God. Now, I think when it says in the Old Testament, they prophesied when Moses, the Spirit put on Moses, they all prophesied. I think we tend to think prophesying is, thus says the Lord, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, this is going to happen. Not necessarily. Not necessarily the Spirit fell upon them. When it says prophesying, I think they, they were speaking supernaturally, inspired utterances about God, who he is, who he is. I think, to be honest, I think it's a bit like the Magnificat. What's that? Magnificat's where Mary, you know, the Spirit fell on Mary and she said, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And as she's speaking out this, it just sounds like a prayer at first. My soul magnifies the Lord. Then it goes on and starts saying, And he'll bring down, and he'll do this, and he'll do that. And it begins to have content, supernatural. And I'm sure these guys are just speaking out wonderful things about God. You might say, I'm sure the whole point was they were preaching one day. No, it doesn't say they were preaching. It doesn't say they were preaching. The problem wasn't it to reach all It doesn't say that. It says they're all captivated. Wow, I can hear my language. Oh, I have mine over there. They speak my language. I was once in Spain. I was speaking in tongues and someone said to me, you're speaking ancient Basque. The Basque is the northern part of Spain. You're speaking ancient Basque. I'm wondering. <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't preaching. Why do I say that? Because when the crowd gathered, and they're just saying, wow, what is this? They're dry, they're drunk. What's going on? Then Peter preached in a common language, probably Aramaic, the language that all these Jewish people would have learned and known. Just like Jewish people today will go back to Israel and speak Hebrew to one another. When they go home to wherever, they'll speak English as they're in England. They speak a form of English of Asia America. They speak the language of their nation. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, cheap. But, but so that, well, they understand. When Peter preached, they don't say, oh, one of the words was him. They're pierced to the heart. What must we do? That's very different to all the wonderful words of God. Peter preached. But the, the phenomenon of this outpouring gathered the crowd. But it was Peter who preached. And Peter said about Jesus, we'll come to that in a minute. And they said, what must we do? They were convicted, so they were pierced to the heart. Peter preaches, if you like, the first gospel message. This wonderful declaration, this Jesus whom you crucified. I mean, what? This scared rabbit, this scared guy who a few days earlier said, no, I don't know him, I don't know him, so I'm not with him. Surely, no, I'm not with him. No, surely, no. And he cursed and swore, I'm not with him, I'm not with him. That, that one, that guy, that coward, a bit like Gideon, hidden away. 
the Spirit came on him. Wow, the guy's transformed. This beast, he preaching unto thousands of people in central Jerusalem. This Jesus, whom you crucified, God has raised up, of which we are witnesses. Now he, seated at the right hand of God, has pulled out this. He's pulled out this. And beloved, that's one of the big things about the very Pentecost. Which is why we don't even know what was it all about in the Old Testament, because this overshadows overshadows anything that happened in the Old Testament. This Jesus, whom you crucified, God has raised up. It's like, ah, a shock. We, we shouted, crucified, crucified. Crucified. You denied the Prince of Life. And they're getting, they're getting cut to the heart. We did that. We killed him. We, him. we destroyed him. God has raised him up. We're witnesses. And now, exalted at the right hand of God. He has poured out this. See, beloved, what's happening on the day of Pentecost is a great coronation day. It's a day of explosion of joy that Jesus is now at the right hand of God. Do you know that phrase taken from Psalm 110 is the most frequently quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament. It's the most frequently quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament. It's the thing they celebrate more than anything else. He's at the right hand of God. See, he, but he's a healer, he's a teacher. No, he's the son of God. It's his identity which they denied and at the cross he was denied. He's vindicated. He's vindicated. And now he's enthroned. And this day, this day of Pentecost, it's a bit like the millennium. We've just come through uh, the turn of the year. I saw some of this, the things that you did. I, I love watching this. First time I ever saw it was the turn of the millennium. Wendy and I came up to London. And we've, we found, made our way across opposite Big Ben, opposite Westminster, and we were there. And gradually the crowds were forming. It was a phenomenal night, phenomenal crowds pushing in. And usually you see crowds with a beer. This morning on a train coming up from Brighton. Oh, at this time of the morning, they're <laughs> to watch West Ham play at home or somebody. And uh, they're coming and they're drinking beer. That's a bit like they do. On that night, there was bottles of champagne. I've never seen so many bottles of champagne. It was in there. It's like, well, look at all these bottles of champagne. Because it's a turn of the meridian. It was a big night. And the first time anything like that to happen, well, now it seems to happen every new year. But we fought our way through an opposite, opposite Big Bang. And by the, by the time it happened, it's like it squeezed in like a football club used to be. And we, our kids were there, just were kind of losing it in the crowd. And then suddenly, nine, nine, the shout went up, boom! And, and it's like fireworks go on, we go crazy, we go crazy. Oh, it's a new year, it's a new millennium, 21st century, oh, this is crazy. And we're all drinking our champagne, it was in. And uh, people were, I mean, I've never seen people so happy. I was told afterwards by a high up police guy, if there had been trouble, we would have been wiped out. We were so outnumbered by the huge crowds that gathered. But happily, everybody was bright and friendly and warm. And, like everybody was friends. It was an amazing atmosphere. I thought, gosh, aren't people wonderful? My heart went out. I thought, they're God's, they're God's people. 
and created in the image and likeness of God. My heart was stirred. I thought, all these dear people who don't even know God. They don't even know what the year of, they don't know the term of the year of what? Of, what? of Jesus! This is BC, you know? It's, it's CD, it's AD, it's Jesus. But they didn't know that, wandering around in the dark. But they were warm and bright and happy and celebrating. The day of Pentecost was heaven's celebration at the enthronement of Jesus spilling over. That's what it was. It was like that. It was like, whoa, he is now at the right hand of God. He's enthroned. This Jesus whom you crucified. We saw him. We ate with him. We fellowship with him. And now he's gone through the heavens. He's the majesty on high. We came and sang about some of those things here this morning. He is the majesty. Even in the book of Hebrews, in just one or two verses, it says, Hebrews 1.13, he said, sit at my right hand. Hebrews 8.1, he's taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Hebrews 10.12, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 12.2, he endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's the most frequently quoted. He sat down at the right hand of God we are celebrating. And beloved, he has ushered in a new age. You need to understand that in the Old Testament, the prophecy said there's a new age coming. There's a new, God's going to make a new creation. The world is bad, the nations are in trouble. And men like Isaiah, who lived in pretty bad days, when the Jewish people were backsliding, and they came with these magnificent prophecies saying, God will do a new thing. There's going to be a new creation. It's like the wilderness blossoming. Incredible language about this new day that's coming. There's a new era, a new age, a new day, it's coming. And it's just the desert will blossom. And the weeds will be like cedar trees. And it's going to be it's fantastic language about a day of resurrection that's going to come. Where things will be a new creation. A new creation. That's Old Testament prophets and Old Testament people are looking forward to that day. That day, there's a day coming. There's a day coming. And the Messiah is going to bring that day. And their expectation was that when the Messiah came, it would break out. But what we've had to learn is this, that for them it was like this, it was like there's an old age coming up to the Messiah and a new age that starts when the Messiah comes. The kingdom comes, the kingdom, the new day. It's inaugurated by the king. But what we had to learn is this, beloved, there's an overlap. There's an overlap. Jesus came bringing in the kingdom. He came to the kingdom was among us. He is the king. But the old age is living on. It's living on. But the new has started. He's on the throne. He is the king. He is the king. He's fulfilled all that the Old Testament promised. He's raised from the dead. Resurrection has started. But the old age hasn't been wrapped up yet. And what we've learned as, a new, as New Testament people, as Christians, we've learned the king has come, but the old age lingers on. There'll come a day when the old age is finished. And Jesus comes again, not in a little manger, not with glory shining over one field at Bethlehem, where the whole sky will fill with glory. And he will be over every field. He will come as the King of Kings. But we live in this overlap, beloved, that we are in the kingdom, we enjoy the kingdom, we have a foretaste of the kingdom. 
And that's what the coming of the Spirit is called. The Spirit is the foretaste. That's the language of the Bible. It's the down payment. It's like you've got some in advance. Of what, we're tasting of the powers of the age to come. That's what happened. When the Holy Spirit came down and the reality, Jesus is King, comes on all these people and they're filled with the spirit of the age to come in this new age. They're in it, but it's overlapping. The kingdom is breaking out. There's, there's hundreds of people full of the spirit of the new age. The, the, if any man is in Christ, the Bible, our old King James says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. That's not what it says. The more, more modern translations don't say that. They say, if any man is in Christ, new creation. That's literally what it says, new creation. Behold, all things have passed away. All things have been made new. So, beloved, we are, we are living in the, new, we're in the kingdom. We, 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 can, we, are, we are raised with Christ. We're seated with him in the heavens, the Bible says. This dramatic thing has already happened to us. We're, we're tasting of that future age that we're still living in this old age. Do we understand? There's a kind of an overlap. And this coming of the Spirit is the demonstration of it. It's the proof of it. It's the foretaste of it. We're tasting of the powers of the age to come. We've already entered in. And sometimes we have that awareness much more greatly. I'm in the kingdom now. I feel it now. I feel it now. And then, you know, you go to work on Monday morning. Yeah, life's tough, and you know, have to pay the mortgage and deal with things, raise a family, whatever you're doing. And, and there's lots of responsibilities, and some of it makes you feel I'm just part of this. But what the Bible says again and again is that your citizenship's in heaven. You belong there, that's, that's where you belong. You're, you're a child of the King, you're living in the new creation, you're in the overlap. It's the Holy Spirit, beloved, that makes that real to us. It's His being upon us. It's that's the foretaste. It says it's the seal. It's showing that we belong somewhere else. Yes. We're sealed. The seal is something you can see. It says I belong. That's my seal. You're sealed with the Spirit. You're tasting of the powers of the age to come. That's what happened when the day of Pentecost came. So on this day of Pentecost, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're all celebrating He's on the throne. He's the King. He's the king. And we know that. We've been seeing that. That word majesty appeared in one of the five songs. He's at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's the enthroned king. He's running the world. And we know, we know that. We're partakers of that. We're enjoying that. Well, when this first happened, the spirit fell. And they were all speaking in tongues. That is a thing that's not in the Old Testament. It's a strange, strange thing. I can't explain why. It says in 1 Corinthians, as you've been working out it, because it talks there, firm, I'm sorry, the day of Pentecost is on a grand scale. He's the king. He sat down. That's what Peter said to him. That's all you need to know. He's enthroned. And this is, this is not drunkenness, as you suppose. This is the outbreak of his glory. Then later you come to Corinthians where we're working this out in local church life. We're working out on our own. So this gift of tongues comes. It's a phenomenon that captures attention. It's not preaching, it's kind of prophesying. Peter preaches. But this gift has now come, it's in the church. So when the church gathers, Paul says in Corinthians, when you pray, when you're in the church, there will be prophesying and there will be speaking in tongues. 
But speaking in tongues, because people don't understand it, needs to be interpreted. And Paul, wanting church meetings to be edifying, says it's better in church meeting to have prophesying. So we can all be edified, we can all be understanding. If, and it looks like, almost like, perhaps, perhaps, the Corinthian church was so excited about this gift that they were, when they gathered, they were all kind of talking in tongues a lot. This is very exciting. It's not like a modern church life. So you try and interpret hit 1 Corinthians and modern church is a joke. We're not like that. But they were probably. They were probably all kind of, whoa, this is not anything. They're all speaking in tongues. And I said, no, 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 no. It's better to prophesy, okay, so we can all hear. Or, as you go through the passage, he says, or, if you speak in tongues, it needs to be interpreted. So we can understand. And he that speaks in tongues speaks mysteries to God. Mysteries to God. And so when, when somebody speaks in the tongue, which may well happen in our meetings, an interpretation will be of that sort. And it says if no one else, um, if, if no one interprets, how can anyone say amen to your giving of thanks? Oh, so speaking in tongues is like giving thanks. It's speaking mysteries to God. The early Pentecostals used to talk about a message in tongues. As though a tongue and interpretation was like a prophecy. But it would appear from the scriptures that it's more God-centered. But it is, it is inspired. It is inspired. It's not just a, an ordinary thanks prayer. You know, I found when I go among the churches sometimes these days, someone gives a tongue, sometimes something wonderful. And someone gives a another ordinary thanks prayer. That's not what we're looking for. Interpretation will have revelation in it. It will have inspiration in it. That's what we're looking for. It's a gift of interpretation. And in fact, it says this. If there's no one in the meeting who has a gift of interpretation, we shouldn't speak in tongues in the meeting. So it's within our control, if I can put it that way. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. It says in this passage you probably know from here. So in other words, it's, it's under our control. Paul says, I will pray with the spirit. I will pray with the understanding. My will. I will choose to do it. Uh, and Paul says this. In my personal prayer life, I pray in tongues more than any of you. That's the Apostle Paul. I pray in tongues more than any of you. I'm reading a book a guy from Berlin sent me uh, last year, I think, about speaking in tongues. I've never seen a whole book about speaking in tongues. It's quite a thick book. Slightly overstated, I think. But it has resulted in my speaking in tongues a lot more than I used to because it's biblically argued. And if Paul did it more than anybody, I think Paul knew a thing or two, though. So I wonder sometimes we don't put high value on something we don't quite understand. But Paul says that I speak mysteries to God. My spirit speaks mysteries to God. So my spirit is active. We tend to think of ourselves as a body that has a spirit. Don't we? I, think, well, you know, I know him, I know him. Oh you know, yeah, you've got a spirit as well. But, if anything, you know, our bodies 
I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, have done this one much longer. I'm getting pretty ancient. But my spirit is going to keep living. I'll get a new body. And so I think, well, if my spirit is big, I want to give more space to my spirit. If you understand what I'm saying. If my spirit is praying, I want to engage with my spirit. And sometimes I find that when praying, I, I, I pray in English, I pray in my own language, like Paul says, because faith can operate around Bible promises. But sometimes I feel an urgency and slip into praying in tongues, and I feel a kind of the wind filling my sail. I'll put it that way. You know, sometimes I'm not a sailor, but I've been in sailing boat. I was with a guy once who's a, who crossed, crossed the Atlantic alone, and I'm a real sailor, you know, in a boat. Wow. And I was with him uh, in cows on the other way, and we took went out. He said, oh look, the breeze is over there. I said, what do you mean the breeze is over there? <laughs> and he moved the boat across and still sailed, filled them. How do you know that? He's a sailor. And the, the breeze fills the sail. And I feel while I'm praying sometimes, oh, I feel an energy kick in. Paul says, we're serving with all the energy that he mightily inspires within me. See, Christianity is not just like going to meetings, trying to be good. We, we tapped into an energy. An energy that is inspired within me. We feel, I'm taking out of myself, I feel another energy kicking in. Not that I was speaking in time. So, it's a language we've never learned. Well, how do you speak it then? You just do. There's no way of saying how you do it. There's no way. Just when I come back down to some uh, application of this. The gift of tongues, the gift of the Holy Spirit was associated. The gift of tongues given, as you'll find in the Acts, it seems to be given when people are first filled with the Spirit. That's when they first experience it. That's how it did with the 120, the 12 apostles who've been with Jesus for three years. When the Spirit fell upon them, they spoke in tongues. When they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. The word baptized in the Spirit is usually associated with the first filling. You find that they were filled again. So, so, those who are filled in, Ephesians, in, in Acts 2, they're filled again in Acts 4. So filled, 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 filled. Ephesians says, carry on being filled. First time it happens, baptize. It's like water baptism, you do that at the beginning. Baptized in the Spirit. And when they were baptized in the Spirit, they spoke in tongues. Now, for myself, as a young Christian, I've been a Christian, because I think, when you think about it, where do I fit? That's where I came from. Where, where do I fit? And for myself, I, I've been terribly backslidden as a Christian. When I first got saved, I was a hopeless Christian. And then one sermon captivated my life, and I started trying to live for God. And I'm, I'm trying now, I'm really working at it. And then that's when I felt so weak. Because I thought, I need, I need more. And when I, I didn't need power to backslide, but when I'm trying to serve, <laughs> I thought, I need something. I saw what happened to Simon Peter. He was useless, and now he isn't. I thought, can that happen to me? Can, can we receive the Spirit? And I, and I began to read books and ask questions. And it seemed like some were saying, no, no, you've got everything, that's it. When you're a Christian, that's it, it's everything. And you just keep growing. Others were saying, no, you need the Spirit to come upon you. 
And I got confused until I came to a kind of crisis. I thought, I must have this. I must have this. And I began to look at the book of Acts. Just quickly look at this before I close. You see, the Gospels all point forward. The Gospels are all saying the Spirit will come. John's Gospel, when the Counselor comes, when he comes, the Spirit of Truth is coming. It's all, it's all it's going to happen. Luke's Gospel says, wait, don't start until the Spirit comes. So the Gospels are all saying it's a future thing. The epistles, the letters that come after, they are all taking it for granted it's already happened. So the epistles don't tell you to go and get filled with the Spirit. The epistles don't tell you to go and get baptised in water. You, you find the epistles, nothing in the epistles say you should be baptised. That is taken for granted. You're, already, you're a Christian, so you're already baptised. They take for granted that you've been baptised in water. Similarly, they take it for granted you've been baptised in the Spirit. And so as the great Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, you have to look at the book of Acts to see what happens. Because the Gospels are saying it's going to happen, the epistles are saying it's already happened. So how do we find out? Well, you have to look at Acts, see what did happen. And, and on Acts 2, you see disciples who've been with Jesus for three years, and they get filled with their Pentecost. But they are unique in that they were already followers of Jesus before the cross, before the resurrection, before the outpouring. So it's hard to kind of identify with them. What happened to those who came afterwards? Well, let me just take you to a couple of uh, passages. It says in Acts chapter 8, Philip went down to Samaria, verse 12. He preached the good news about the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus. They were being baptized, men and women alike. So people responding to evangelistic preaching, like I did, they got saved. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. And it was visible. It was visible. They are receiving the Holy Spirit. They were saved through Philip the Evangelist, baptized Christian. But when the news got back to Jerusalem and the apostles went down, oh, you haven't received the Spirit. We better lay hands on you quickly. And they received the Spirit. Acts chapter 9, Paul, the most famous conversion in the New Testament, saved on the Damascus Road. The God of glory, the God who commanded light to shine in the darkness, shine through his heart, giving the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He's saved. He's a new creation. And Ananias, who's nobody special, not like Peter and John in the previous chapter, Ananias is said to him, brother Saul, Christian brother, he's a brother now. This is three days later if you read the whole passage. He said, he sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul was saved three days earlier and filled with the Spirit when Ananias laid hands on him. And then the last one, Acts 19, interesting one, Acts 19, you get another story which is very relevant to us. It says here, Paul came to Ephesus, verse 2, he found some disciples 
Now usually if you see disciples, it means Christians. But not always. Pharisees had disciples, John the Baptist had disciples. And it says this, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said to him, no, we've not even heard there's the Holy Spirit. He said, into what then were you baptized? They said, John's baptism. All right? So these guys in Acts 19, Paul thinks they're Christians. When he starts talking to them, he finds they are actually disciples of John the Baptist. John the Baptist preached, he says, all Judea went out to hear John the Baptist. He had many disciples. These guys are disciples of John the Baptist. That's what it plainly says. Paul says to them, verse 4, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who's coming after him. That is Jesus. In other words, Paul tells them the gospel about Jesus. It's very abridged, obviously, here. But he tells them the, story, the whole story, because they're just disciples of John the Baptist. John the Baptist's message was, get ready, prepare the way. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. That's all they've heard so far. Paul tells them about Jesus. And then it says this, when they heard this, verse 5, they're baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, now these disciples of John the Baptist become followers of Jesus and are baptized. They become Christians. Now, then, the next thing you read is this, verse 6, then Paul laid hands on them. And the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There's 12 of them, it says. In other words, they're not preaching to anybody. But they're speaking in tongues and prophesying. The Spirit came on them. This is the day they became Christian. The day they became Christians. They're, they've heard the gospel. They're baptized. It's almost like baptismal water is still dripping off them. And John and Peter, Paul, Paul lays hands on them, and the Holy Spirit comes on them. Now, why, why were the early believers told to wait? Jesus said to them, Luke 24, wait. But after that, no one was told to wait. Why? Well, I'll just take you finish with John 7. John 7, the famous statement of Jesus. It says that on the feast day, another feast day, the priest is pouring out water. They're celebrating God providing water through the wilderness. And Jesus pushes through the crowd and says, If anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. He that believes in me, out of his guts shall flow rivers of living water. It says this, This he spoke of the Spirit, who those who believed in him were to receive. But the Spirit was not yet given. Why? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. That's what the day of Pentecost is all about. He's now, this Jesus, people said, you crucified, he's now glorified. And he's poured out this. No one is ever told to wait to receive the Spirit after the day of Pentecost. Before the day of Pentecost, they're told, wait, wait, wait. We have to wait. They're waiting in the upper room. They're waiting. But after that, when the, when, the, when the Samaritans are converted, they're not receiving the Spirit. Peter and John come down there. They don't say, oh, we better go wait somewhere. This lay hands on The Spirit came. They're not told to wait anywhere. Wow, he's wise, glorified. Nothing more to The waiting is not to do with you, it's to do with him. 
The Spirit was not yet given, not because they were not yet ready, but because He was not yet glorified. See, sometimes I've prayed for people over the years. Sometimes you pray for someone and say, well, perhaps I'm not really good enough. I should not good enough. It's a perhaps God's waiting for me. How long are we going to wait? It's not, it's not a reward for good work. The Apostle Peter wouldn't have got filled with the Spirit at once. The Apostle Peter, you failure, miserable guy, let me down, didn't even own me, got filled with the Spirit. It's nothing to do with, I'm a really good Christian, I'm worthy. Peter wasn't. It's not to do with you, it's to do, they had to wait for him to be glorified. When Ananias comes to Saul, who's going to be a mighty apostle, he doesn't say, Saul, you better find an upper room somewhere. Go and wait like the others did. No, no. Ananias, unknown Ananias, we don't know who he was, lays hands on Paul, he's filled with the Spirit. Says, I speak in tongues of the Lord. Acts 19, these guys, it's just especially safe. I was in a meeting at home. I had the joy at the end of the service to preach the gospel, and a, a girl came forward, a student from the university, and I had the joy of leading her to Christ. It was wonderful. And she said to me, it really shocked me, she said, Is there more? I said, why do you ask? She said, there's power in this meeting. I said, yeah, come to my home next week. We arranged a date, she would come. She came to my home the next week, like a weekend, six days later. And she brought a girl with her. And the girl with her said, see me, I've so changed since last Sunday. She says, I've become a Christian. She said, I would like to become a Christian. So I, 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 well, I said, yeah, okay. So we talked through, showed the scriptures, and she received Christ. Then Celia said, hey, don't forget what I've come for. <laughs> okay. So we come back to Celia. I'm explaining about the Holy Spirit. She said, right, can we pray now? She's six days a Christian. Yeah, of course. Just get, and then the other girl says, what about me? <laughs> well, of course, of course. So I laid hands on both of them. And they both got filled with the Spirit. And both singing in tongues. One's been saved six days, one's been saved 20 minutes. The promise is to you. That's what it says in Acts, the promise is to you. It's, as many as the Lord our God shall call, we can just come and receive. We can come and take. They were thirsty, Jesus said. Come to me and drink. He that believes in me. If you believe in him, you can come and receive and drink. And you can speak in tongues. You can speak in tongues. It's part of the deal. It's available. You don't have to, but you can. You don't have to, but you can. But we can receive the Holy Spirit.